We're continuing our journey through the Gospel of John, and it's been a good journey so far, and we're just starting in chapter 12, and this is the kind of the point where it starts to turn. All before has been John uh, uh, um, recording how Jesus' life and ministry have been building to this point, and now in chapter 12, we start this turning point of uh, where he's going to enter into Jerusalem for the final week of his life, and which is going to lead to uh, his crucifixion and him rising again and him uh, saving us. And so we're right at the cusp of uh, the Gospel of John. So I, have, I hope you guys are all having a great morning. Thank you guys for being here at River Valley. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we are about to open up his word. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are and how you love us. Lord, we thank you for everyone who can be with us this morning as we worship you and we gather together to praise your holy name. Lord, I ask as we open up your word that you bring it to life in our minds and our hearts that we can understand who you are, who Jesus is, and what that means for us. Lord, I pray as we read this text in the Gospel of John that we can come to grips of just how valuable, how worthy, what a treasure Jesus is that we can be moved to respond because of it. We pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine, imagine looking at your life savings. You look at how much you have amassed so far over the years, and you say, man, I've been frugal and wise. I've managed my money well. And now you see the results before your eyes. Maybe it has more zeros than you ever expected it would have. Maybe it's not that great compared to how the world measures things, but to you, man, you're sitting pretty. But you're looking at all your effort, all your time, all your energy, and now the question is, what am I going to spend it on? What am I going to spend all this concentrated time and energy that we call money? Will I buy that new car? I need a new car. You can buy me a new one. Uh, you can... Uh, Will I build that new addition to my house? Take that dream vacation? Maybe make more investments in the corner of the market? Really make stuff happen? Send kids to school? Maybe retire at that location you always dreamed about? When we look at what we amass and what we value, we ask that question, what will we spend it out on? Let me say, first off, right away, you have the freedom and the privilege to spend your money how you want to spend it. People get a little weird when you talk about money. And so you can go do that. And actually, I think there's a strong principle that we're supposed to uh, enjoy the fruits of our labor. But sometimes in that, we forget this basic principle that spending, what we spend our time, energy, money on, is really an act of devotion. Because what we put that to it really shows what we value, what we care about. It's a simple thing, but when we spend money or whatever, we end up being devoted to what we spend it on. At least we start, our heart starts following after that. It, does, it demonstrates to at least ourselves and to others what we really value. I have a few vices. If you opened up my bank account, you would see what I care about. You see probably too much money spent on Amazon books. I know, nerd alert, but it's true. I have a stack about this high in my office right now that, um, of books I need to read, and they sit there and taunt me. 
but it's what I, I care about. If you look at my bank account, you probably see too much money spent on entertainment or, or anything. You probably see a lot of money spent on my family because I'm devoted to my family. But we can just do that. If we look at what we spend, we see what we are devoted to. And when we come to John chapter 12, we see someone spending mightily on someone she is devoted to. So if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, you can turn to John chapter 12. And we are going to start in verse 1. And if you do not have your Bibles, it's okay with this. We can follow along on the screens. So John chapter 12, verse 1 starts this way. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was from, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his hair with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used, used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because of him, on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This account comes right after uh, chapter 11, because it's chapter 12. It's funny how that works. But this, is, this account comes right after Jesus has risen Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. Jesus shows up. He calls him out of the grave. And so now this account is taking place as people are honoring Jesus for this great miracle that he performed. And when we read the four Gospels together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we try to harmonize them and kind of uh, combine them together to see the story they, they, they tell us together. And so when we come to this account of a woman anointing Jesus at Bethany, we have to ask ourselves, because every gospel records a woman anointing Jesus, did Jesus get anointed four times, three times, two times, one time? What is it? And when we gather these pictures, we see that Matthew and Mark record Jesus going to a house in Bethany, which is the same location here, and they're at Simon the leopard's house, and some woman, unnamed, comes and anoints his head, which has significance of him being a king, and uh, is pointing to that. But we, in here, in this account, we see Mary is named as the woman who anoints him, and we don't know where it happens, but it happens in Bethany. And then when we go to Luke, we see a whole different kind of account in a different location of a woman who's not named, but she's said to have great sin, who cries over his feet and wipes his feet and anoints him with perfume on his feet. And when we compile all these things, what makes most sense when we really look at the details is that Jesus was probably anointed twice, one time by a woman who was sinful in a different person's house in Galilee, and then this time that Matthew Mark and John record of Mary praising Jesus, thanking Jesus for raising her brother, and that she does this act of devotion. 
which helps shed some light on this passage that this was probably a whole town affair, that Jesus returned back in Bethany and the whole town was welcoming him, that someone else hosted him and the whole family was serving and that maybe everyone was around watching because they had just seen what Jesus did, that he had raised Lazarus from the dead and they were still uh, amazed by this act. And then we see Mary perform this act of anointing Jesus. And from this, we get this very um, concise point, which is this, that Jesus' worth drives our devotion. That is to say that Jesus' value, how we value Jesus, it pushes our love and our affection to greater heights. The more we value Jesus, the more we'll see his worth then the greater and more profound our devotion and love for him will be. That when we value Jesus just a little, even small acts of devotion will find hard to do and will struggle with. But when we value Jesus greater than life itself, then we'll be pushed to give all of who we are for his glory. Jesus' worth drives our devotion. We see this in the passage and what Mary does as we, they have this dinner to honor Jesus. That's the setup. Jesus comes back into Bethany, and there's, it's right before the Passover, and so when you, re- you can see this maybe being that Saturday before the Passover, which start on, on, uh, uh, um, on the next week, and so they're having this big celebration for Jesus. Everyone was coming out, and they were um, kind of looking to honor Jesus, and so Martha was serving. Lazarus was being honored as well because he just came back from the dead. And so they were reclining at the table, and we have this kind of big communal event. And in those days, during feast times, they would not just sit at a table, but they kind of recline with their legs behind them, which sets up uh, what Mary does then. She walks in, and she performs this, what I would call an act of devotion. She takes a pound of expensive perfume or ointment made out of nard, which comes from India, and she anoints Jesus' feet with it, and then proceeds to wipe his hair. And the whole house was filled with that fragrance of that perfume. And from that, we see, I think, several things about her act of devotion. One, it was very costly. Judas was sitting there saying, this perfume costs 300 denarii, which is about a year's worth of a day laborer's salary. So if you put it in modern terms, she took about a $25,000 bottle of perfume that weighed a pound and poured it on Jesus' feet. That's costly indeed. We don't know whether Lazarus and his family were, were wealthy, and so maybe that wasn't that much to them. Or maybe this was a priceless heirloom that Mary had passed down through generations. But whatever it was, it was valuable. It was precious. And she considered Jesus worth the act to spend it all on him. Just to honor him. Just to um, show her devotion to him. That Mary valued Jesus' worth this costly perfume to just be spent in this way. Because Jesus' worth drives our devotion. We can't read that without asking the question, what about us? Do we value Jesus 
in the same way? Where we would freely, willingly, gladly give something of value, that value to him, just to honor him? But then we look at the act itself, and it's, a, it's an act of devotion, because Mary was seeking to honor him, and in the custom of the day, when a, someone came into a house, especially at a banquet, they would wash their feet, and they would be anointed with some oil, maybe on their head and their feet. And so Mary was probably just seeking to honor him as they did in the custom of the day, but she took it to the nth degree and said, I'm going to use this expensive perfume. And so most likely because it was a pound, and that seems like a whole lot of perfume, it wasn't just Jesus' feet that she was anointing. She probably was anointing his head and his feet and just probably just smathering it all over him because she wanted to honor him. But Jesus points that has a deeper meaning, just honoring him. He actually connects it to his burial. He says, she, leave her home, keep, let her keep it. So she's getting me basically ready for my burial when I want to be anointed and put into the tomb. He's pointing it further to connecting her act of devotion to what makes him worthy of that act. That he's about to die for his people. But there's also great humility in, in Mary's act because she unbinds her hair, which at that time is a, is a custom taboo, especially among mixed company. And she chooses to wipe his feet with her hair, which I don't think it gets lower than that. That she's humbly anointing his feet and wiping his feet because she loves him and values him. That her, her love for him drives her to an act that she doesn't even care what people think it looks like or what it means. She just wants to honor him. She's so focused on who Jesus is. Jesus' worth drives our devotion. Again, we can ask ourselves after seeing this act, what about us? How far are we willing to go to honor Jesus? And I love the line in this passage when it says that the fragrance, the perfume, filled the whole house. I love it because Mary's act of devotion filled the house with that sweet smell of this expensive perfume that it filled around it, actually changed the atmosphere as people could literally smell her love being expressed for Jesus. How that should happen to us too when we love Christ so much that we do these acts of devotion that it literally changes the atmosphere and people take notice of it because the environment in which we are operating changes as we love and honor Christ. So how ironic is it in this environment, an environment literally uh, dripping with the smell of perfume from Mary's act, that Judas, someone who should seek to be devoted to Jesus, questions and criticizes what she did. Man, that was a lot of money you just blew anointing his feet. 300 denarii. We could have taken care of so many poor people with that. We could have helped so many people with that, but yet you just blew it on Jesus. That's what Judas was basically saying. But to John, the writer of this gospel, makes it very clear he was not saying this because he liked the poor and wanted to help the poor. He was saying this because he already had a wrong heart. He had, was a thief, and he would take from the money bag that would support all the apostles of Jesus. And so basically he wanted more money in that money bag so he could take more money for himself. 
We see a total wrong heart in Judas as he looks at this act. Giving to the poor is not really the issue here because that's something Jesus full-heartedly supports and he commands for his people to do, that we're supposed to take care of the downtrodden, we're supposed to take care of the oppressed, we're supposed to spend our finances in a way that helps people get lifted back up. But Judas here is speaking in a way that misses the point in Jesus and well, actually the, the author of the gospel is calling on it, making clear that Judas had a wrong heart. Because imagine, imagine Judas saying this, man, we need this 300 denarii to take care of the poor. As he stands in front of Jesus, who he saw feed 5,000 as if it was nothing. As he looks upon Jesus, who he saw walk across the water, turn water to wine, raise the dead, he sees Jesus. Jesus doesn't need 300 denarii to take care of the poor, but yet this is just a smoke screen, screen that Judas uses to justify him questioning an act of devotion that Mary does. Because it shows that Judas was focused on money, not on Jesus. That Judas valued money over Jesus. And when you compare Mary and Judas, you can't get a more different picture. Mary, who loves Jesus so much that she's willing to splurge $25,000 on him just to show how much she loves him. And Judas, who very soon is going to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, which is just a few grand. The comparison could not be more striking, where Mary was willing to spend all she had, give material possessions to Christ because she loved him and she valued him more than that. Judas valued money over Jesus himself. But before we criticize Judas too hard, we must come to grips with the fact that we are all Judas and to some extent. That doesn't feel good to say, but we are. We're all Judas to some extent that our devotion can be weak. Our focus is too often, often on the wrong things. That we live for our wants and desires more than Jesus. That we place those things over valuing Jesus. And that even sometimes when we, if we're honest, we, we place our pleasure and sin over following Jesus. R.C. Sproul, who's in, who was a pastor and author, said, At the moment I sin, I desire the sin more than I desire to please God and how true that is that we go through life so often weak and not devoted to what we should be. Faltering and failing and too often focused on the wrong things and desiring the wrong things and we're not better than Judas. We're going to come back to that. So hang on to that happy thought right there that we're not better and Judas. But Jesus comes to Mary's defense and she tells Judas basically, Mary was cherishing me while she has me. The poor you always have. You always have opportunity to serve me and to give glory to my name by serving the poor. But right now, while I walk the earth, Mary has me and she's seeking to honor me. And that's where the focus should be. And so she comes back. So he comes back to the defense of Mary that Mary was just seeking to honor Jesus, and that is the right thing to do. As we see Jesus, as we know Jesus, we should seek to honor him with all that we have. Because Jesus' worth drives our devotion. 
But when we look at this passage, when we look at this great act that Mary does, we have to ask ourselves, what do we learn from this? And the first thing I would say is that we learn to value Jesus. Mary provides an example for us of how we value Jesus, but it's not just a bare moral example that we're supposed to strive to be like. No. As I said before, we are not better than Jesus and striving after a pure, just moral example of what it means to be devoted to Jesus will either leave us arrogant because we get it right and we think we're better than other people, or it leaves us in despair and in depression because we will fail. We're not just striving after a moral example of how we honor Jesus. Rather, we look at Mary and we see example of someone who saw Jesus and was changed. She saw Jesus for who he was, and it changed her. And from that changed heart, and from that changed life, then flowed the devotion of willing to pour this perfume on him. Mary is celebrating the fact that Jesus just brought her brother back to life. She's celebrating and remembering the fact that he made that great statement that he is the resurrection and the life and she believes it and she sees his value. She sees who he truly is. This is God in the flesh who's leading us into salvation and so he's worth my devotion. She's changed because she saw who Jesus was and the same should be true for us that we first need to see Jesus. Any call for devotion to Jesus must first call upon us to look and wonder at the Christ. Look at what he has done. Not has he only raised Lazarus from the grave, but he has changed our cold, dead hearts to ones that now love him and seek him. Not only does he have called people to come to and believe in him then, but he calls us presently now to know him, to serve him, and be changed from rebels into saints, to be changed from sinners now into people who worship our Lord and our God. When we see Jesus and who he is, it changes us. We know the full story of who Jesus is, that God sent his son to live as one of us, to die for us, who to rise again to show us the life in which we would have, and who now intercedes for us at the right hand of God the Father. When we look and see who Jesus is, we should be filled with devotion, that this devotion springs from a life given by the life giver. As Mary saw Lazarus brought back to life, so we have experienced life, new life in Christ given to us by him. Mary's devotion sprung from seeing what Jesus did. So we who have been changed by Christ who have seen him change our lives, who have seen him change other people we love's lives, shouldn't devotion to him be the natural result? And we have to get that order right or we get off track. We love him because we see his worth and his value, and from that springs our devotion. So do you value Jesus? When you hear the name Jesus, when you think about Jesus, do your mind, does your mind go to who he is and how great and wonderful he is and what he has done for us? Because the gospel shows us how valuable Jesus truly is. 
It shows us a worth that will drive our devotion for the rest of our lives. For the gospel makes it clear that Jesus, the God-man, came to live a life we could not live. That we, just like Adam, sin and mess up and we go astray and we want to do our own thing and we're rebels against God and here comes Jesus, a fully human, fully God, and he lives the perfect life in obedience to God. And then he gives us his standing, his righteousness, his place before the Father. And he willingly takes our place, our punishment for our sin, dying the death we deserve. And when we see this truth of who Jesus is and the truth of the gospel, we see a God, a a Lord who is valuable, who is worthy to follow, who when he calls, we answer because we know how much he loves us and how much we value him. That Jesus' worth drives our devotion. Driven devotion is what we're seeing in John chapter 12. A devotion driven by love. Because how much we value Jesus determines how well we're going to be devoted to him. Our devotion, our love, our affection for Jesus is always a response. That we love and we're, we're prompted to move as a response to what he has done for us. The life he has given us. Our good works, our devotion flows from salvation. Not in pursuit of it. God is after a devotion, a obedience that grows in the soil, a desire that one comes when you see how valuable he is. I love how one author puts it. The fire to do in the Christian life comes only after being soaked in the fuel of what has been done. That we only do because Christ has done it. That we only start living for Christ because he has saved us and given us that, one, that new life. That when we have soaked up the reality of what God has done through Jesus Christ in our lives, then now we're ready to burn for Christ in all that we do. Loving him, seeking him, honoring him. For that's what we see Mary doing. Seeing who Jesus is and being devoted to him because of it. So what does that look like? in our lives. What would it look like to be devoted, have a driven devotion in our life? Because we see the value of Jesus, what would that look like now? And so these are just some frameworks that I hope help us organize and think through and evaluate where we stand. Use them as you will. I can't tell everyone where they are, how they can be devoted to Christ, but we all operate on these levels. So here's just some frameworks. The first one is time, energy, and passion. Time, 10,080. Does anyone know what that is? That's the minutes you have in a week. Every single person has the same number of minutes in a week. 10,080. How do we spend it? Yeah, we can say you're supposed to be spending some of it reading your Bible, praying, uh, fellowshipping with Christians, but that's not the main thing. How do you spend it? Do you spend all of it being devoted to the Lord that no matter where you are, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what conversation takes place, no matter what activities are engaged in your hand, that you're doing it all for the glory of the Lord, being devoted to the Lord in all that you do? How will time affect how we can be devoted to Christ? 
The same thing is with energy, time, energy, and passion. What do we spend our energy on? What do we give of our life to do? What activities are we doing? This doesn't mean that we have to be only devoted in Christian things, but it does mean that what we're devoted in can be used to glorify the Lord, even if it's just how we serve the Lord in the midst of it. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we stop eating, going to work, taking trips, Trips, shopping for groceries, dropping off clothes at the dry cleaning, reading good books or watching good movies or spending time with your family. Christians still wash their clothes, hopefully. Eat food, watch basketball or football. They, but they entered those activities differently. They entered those activities actually with a purpose, even in the most mundane thing, because all of life has purpose to give glory to God. That they enter those activities under a new motive and a new banner, and that is to love God and to love their neighbor. So how does we look at how we spend our energy change for our devotion? How about passion? What do you talk about? What do you think about? What do you share with people? The latest thing you watched? Or the latest truth you gathered from Scripture? Anything that I care about is most likely going to worm its way into conversation because I'm a very selfish person, and I care about it, and I'm going to make it known. So what do we care about? What, how would we view passion, and how would that change us in our conversations and how we operate in our day-to-day life? This is a framework, and you can fill in the blocks as you wish if it's helpful. Time, energy, passion. How does that help us be devoted to the Lord who has given us everything? Another framework that might help is home, work, and fun. You can break up your life into probably those big categories. How are you devoted to Christ at home? What does that look like? Is it leading family devotions? Is it changing how you live your life at home? How about work? Who do you ultimately work for? Are you working just for your boss, or do you actually see that you're not just working for your boss, but you're working for the Lord and everything, and your boss just reaps the benefits of that? Who do you work for, and then how do you have fun? I'm a big proponent for having fun. Go have fun. God made an enjoyable creation that we're supposed to enjoy. That's redundant. But he did, and we're supposed to be out and about and having fun with the life he has given us. But even in having fun, we're supposed to do it in a way that brings honor and glory to Christ. And we can actually do that. Enjoy the life God has given you because he's made you enjoy it because it's a signpost, it's a pointing to the glory of him. Homework and fun is just another way we can think about it. Then there's thoughts, words, deeds. Another way we can think about it. What guides your thoughts? What controls what you think about? What is the filter that you evaluate all things through? How can you honor Christ with that? What are your words, how you speak to people and how you communicate to people? What is motivating and pushing and what comes out of your mouth? Are they the words of just your heart or is it words soaked and saturated with the truth of Scripture and who God is? How about deeds? What we do? Any action? What motivates them? What fuels them? What pushes them forward? What guides and directs them? Is this another framework we can think about when we talk about what does it mean to be devoted to to Christ, because Jesus' worth drives our devotion. 
So when we look at this, this passage in the Gospel of John and we see Mary anointing Jesus' feet, we see an act of worship and devotion first. And so we take from that and we say, first we worship. First, we see the value of Jesus. First, we know what he has done. First, we know his worth because he has saved us. He has changed us. He is bringing us forward to a new life in him and a new life with God the Father. And so we see his value and we know it. And from there, true devotion, in whatever form it comes, will start to flow. Because Jesus' worth drives our devotion. So when we look at the Gospel of John, we see the value of Jesus, and then we become driven people of Jesus. Driven forward because we see the value of him. Driven forward because we see his worth. Driven forward because we know he is worth it. That that is the basis of how we live for Christ. Jesus' worth drives our devotion. Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we love you. We seek you. We ask that you continue to work in us in these great and mighty ways. That when we come to passages such as John 12, that we can be, see this great act, but be motivated by it, but, but understand the truth that it first comes from a place of worship, of, of seeing your value. And that from seeing your worth pushes us forward, pulls us forward, that we start to live for you all of our life. Lord, I pray for everyone here that we can be devoted to you. In whatever way that looks, that we can start taking those steps that show how we love you and show a changed life because you have saved us. Lord, we love you, we seek you, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.